We are beginning of a series, and maybe that's why you're watching today. Maybe that's why you came today. This new series called Stranger Things, Exploring the Stranger Parts of Christianity. And I've been wanting to do this series for about two years now. Uh, but because of COVID and everything, I just wanted to make sure, you know, it was a time in which we could, uh, you know, it, that if I put the time into it, um, most people would be able to uh, be a part of it um, because it's taken me uh, quite a few months over the last, last two, three months to put to this together. And I don't say that to, for you to like pity me or, um, you know, feel bad for me. But the reason I say that is because I've been trying to do my due diligence and to try to bring you the most accurate take on some of these topics um, as I possibly can because they're well, fairly complicated, and they're not uh, very straightforward. And so I appreciate your patience as I know personally, I am still wrestling with some of the things in the next few weeks that I am even teaching on. And this is today and the next few weeks are gonna be my current take on the subject. But five years from now, to be fair, I may change a little bit of my take on these things as I grow, as I hope you all would, that maybe when you began your faith journey, things look different than what they look like now. Um, and that's okay. And we just are on a journey of growth. And so uh, I appreciate your grace as well as you being here as we work through some of these, uh, some of these things. So um, to kind of kick, kick this off a little bit, um, my hope as we go through the next four weeks is um, we're gonna take a big idea and I'm gonna try to give you as clear a cut a take on it as I possibly can in 30 to 40 minutes, which is really difficult to do. And so there are gonna be some times at which you feel like I'm taking um, you know, some of your preconceived ideas or beliefs that you grew up with, if you grew up in church uh, or grew up around Christianity or exposed to Christianity or watched some TV shows and this is how, you know, this is what Christians believe. And I may take those ideas in the next few, few days and I may, you know, break it, okay? And the truth is when you like break an egg, okay, and you look at that egg or it looks like my two or three-year-olds would say, you look at it, it's like, what's that, daddy? You know, well, in this current form, it's really just a mess, okay? There's not a whole lot that we do with a raw egg in this form, right? And that's how it may feel as we talk through some of this stuff. It may just feel like a little bit of a mess and a little bit useless. But if you take time to cook this egg correctly, it can turn into something that's actually fairly helpful and enjoyable and maybe a little bit delicious, or you may need this egg and you pair it with a bunch of other ingredients like sugar and flour and sugar and brown sugar and sugar, you get where I'm going. You have cookies, right? Or you have brownies or you have some of the most delicious things and most unhealthy things for you to eat if you use this egg. And that's a bit about how this is all gonna go is there's gonna be moments where it feels like you're doing and feeling like an egg. Um, and I, you know, but at the same time, I hope they're fairly real and honest moments. But if we get, give ourselves some time and we work through these things and we don't just take today and leave it, we kind of continue to process on it, we may end up making something worthwhile, okay? So as we go through and you feel freaked out, you're thinking to yourself, oh, this is a really uncomfortable this week, next week, the following week, okay? And especially as we go into heaven and hell and you're, oh, I don't know about this. Remember, it may be just the process of cooking something a little bit better, Okay? All right, so for today, I wanna to start off with a very loaded question. It's a question you know and I know the answer to, but that's where we're gonna to start today. And the question for today is, have you ever met someone with power who probably shouldn't have that power? 
Yes. Okay, I'll just answer for you. Yes. Yes, you have. You have met these people. And, and you don't like these people, right? They, they're maybe a boss that you had or a coworker that you had, um, a team leader that you had, an executive, certainly a politician that you've known or two, maybe a judge, a business partner, a business leader, a community leader. Uh, I mean, the list can go on. You know, somebody who has influence and authority and power who probably shouldn't have that power to begin with. And when you experience something like that, um, you just kind of think to yourself, you know, individual who has power, you're not a very good model considering the power that you have. You don't really treat people well. You don't really lead well. In fact, some of your decisions, leader, powerful person, are hurting people. And it's frustrating, right? I mean, you probably have a name or two or three of people who fit that bill. And what's worse, and this is the worst part of it all, people follow those powerful people. And it's even more upsetting when you see that because you think to yourself, what are you doing? Because the part that's so frustrating about it is when you, more people follow you know, a powerful person, they get more powerful because that's where really where power comes from, isn't it? Because other people give it to you. Because other people follow you. Other people are influenced by you. And so you see that happening. It's just ultimately frustrating. And this was a big concern for God, the Christian God and the Jewish God in the Old Testament, the same God. God was very concerned with this idea. And so he gave the nation of Israel a command to protect against this problem of powerful people getting people's allegiance incorrectly or powerful um, things that have influence in people's lives that probably shouldn't have. In fact, this was the first of 10 commands that God gave, known as the 10 commandments if you grew up in church, all right? And the first command is this, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, when you lift someone up in power and influence, do not make them a god. Or so I thought when I grew up in church. In fact, I thought a couple of things about what this command meant. I first thought that this command had more to do with like not making an idol of something. Okay, don't idolize um, money or or uh, material objects. Okay, or don't idolize people for that matter. Um, but the weird thing about that, and the thing that we kind of often forget, is then the second command, which specifically addresses idols. It says, "Do not have any." Idols, don't, don't have any other gods before me. You shall make yourself, do not make yourself, excuse me, uh, an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath it or the waters below. So when God says you shall have no other gods, he's not actually talking about like images or things that we can see or things that we can make or create in heaven above or on earth below. So what does God mean? So the other option that I thought that this particular command of you shall have no other gods before me meant was things like, um, you know, things like power, that we shouldn't make power a god or sex or influence or bribery or greed. Don't make those things God. And in fact, we don't have the time to go into this, but there is some truth to that, that those things can or are influenced by other gods, but that's not what God meant here. And fair warning, this is where we're going to start to crack some eggs, okay? What if, this is my proposal to you, what if when God said, you shall have no other gods before me, he said that because there are other gods 
God knew that there were other gods. So what do we do with that? Glad you asked. So the first thing we got to do to understand what God meant here is to go back to the original language. And the original language here, as many of you know, if you've been around for a while, and if you don't, fun fact for today. The Old Testament, which is what we're in, especially in Exodus, um, we're in the book of the Bible that's written in ancient Hebrew, okay? And the book that we read in English is a translation. And there's a lot of different translations. In fact, we're going to jump, I think, a little bit around in translations today um, because it helps us to understand what's actually being said here. The word gods here is a little deceiving. The word gods here in Hebrew is actually the word Elohim, which you may have actually heard, depending on the church tradition that you grew up in, as a reference to God, big God, capital God, not lowercase gods. But Elohim doesn't actually mean God above. God above is me. You shall have no other gods before me. And me is Yahweh, which is maybe a word that you also are familiar with, Yahweh. And that is big capital God. In fact, that was the name that they gave, the ancient Hebrew people gave God as Yahweh. So the, what they're talking about here is a category of spiritual beings, a broad category of spiritual beings, which may include, but it's not limited to, Elohim may include, it may not limited to, God himself, which is more confusing, angels, cherubim, demons, the Satan, divine counsel, powers and authority, sons of God, heavenly hosts and armies of God, to name a few within the Bible that there are all these other characters in the Bible who are under the category of gods or spiritual beings. Now, some of these you're fairly familiar with, you know, angels. Oh, we like them. They have wings and they're friendly for the most part, which is not entirely true, but you know, there's some good TV shows about them, okay? And we may be you know, familiar with this concept, uh, cherubim of like um, around uh, Valentine's Day, you know, little babies with wings, which is not actually true. And it's original, it's actually snakes with wings, but I don't want to freak you out too much. Um, and then there's, you know, demons, Satan, the divine council, and all these other things. So if you read the Bible, start to finish, you're going to see these terms. And in a lot of instances, when you see these terms, they're referring to spiritual beings that God actually is saying there are other beings which Yahweh, Yahweh created to name a few. And let's be honest, that's a little strange. Like we're comfortable with them in the context of like Christmas time or certain holidays. But outside of that, it's just a little weird, especially if we're new to Christianity. But God said, no, there are other gods. There are other Elohim, spiritual beings, some of which are with me, Yahweh. They're on my side. And some, in fact, are opposed to me, Yahweh. Now, this may not feel very real. And the reason it doesn't feel very real is because we have a very Western culture take on, on Christianity. Okay? But what's important to know is these are very real to the biblical authors, the people who wrote the Bible, who lived it, who saw it, they felt like, I should probably write about it. I should probably be honest about it. And so that's what they included. And so some great examples of this, which we don't have time to go into today, but you can take this uh, as a little bit of homework to go home today. And here are three passages that you can read. Here's where they kind of start. Um, and you can take a picture of this if you want to, or you know, go back and watch this online and get these, and read them when you go home. And they are straight up moments where God 
And there's other spiritual beings involved in what's going on in heaven and the world below. You can't really get away from this reality. It's right there. And let's be fair, a lot of times if you ever read the Bible through, you get to spiritual beings or those kinds of things, you just go, huh, and you move on because we don't really know what to do with them. And that's okay, but hopefully today you'll have at least a couple tools in your toolbox to understand how to process these passages a little bit better. And if you're freaking out, just remember, we're cracking some eggs, okay? Cracking some eggs. If you look at the entire biblical story, though, here's the theme that you see. If you read the Bible and then you study this idea of Elohim and some of these characters, see some of these beings that, that God, Yahweh, created. He created them for a purpose, and he created them intentionally as you read the Bible story. I'm not asking you to buy into it. I'm just saying as you read the biblical story, here's what you'll find. You'll find that God had a purpose and intention behind creating these beings. beings. And the purpose was this, relationship and delegation. Relationship, I'm connected with you, you're connected with me. In other words, we're not alone. And delegation, not abdication, not I'm just going to walk away from this, good luck, but delegation, hey, I'm inviting you to participate with me in this decision or this leadership decision or, or this process that we're going through. I'm inviting you to be a part of that. And so if you read these stories, when you get home, see the examples of spiritual beings being invited by God into relationship and delegation to have influence in heaven and also have influence on leaders on earth, specifically leaders influencing people in authority on earth. Now, what I choose to take away from this and what you have the opportunity to take away from this is that God is an intensely relational God, that he created the heavens and the earth, as we'll look at next week, and he didn't just leave them absent. He created beings to go in them and to have authority over them. God is intentionally relational, and he gives the creatures he creates, the lesser beings, the lesser spiritual beings or lowercase gods, free will and an invitation to lead with him. And that's really important. But think about that for a moment. Let's go back to like real practical world that we can grasp and understand a little bit. Think about those bad leaders that have all that power. Do those kind of leaders value relationship and value delegation? No. Relationship and delegation is actually a sign of a really good leader, someone who actually cares about who you are as an individual and wants you to be a part of what's going on in the organization or in the group or the class or whatever context you may be in. That's a, that's a good leader. And so I hope you would take away that God's intention from the beginning was great leadership, relationship, and delegation. When he created these Elohim and when he created you and me, relationship and delegation. See, most of us, uh, most of um, the start of all of uh, us and these heavenly beings begins in the first chapter of the first book, the entire book of the Bible, in Genesis 1, when heaven and earth were created. And, and we'll talk about that more next week. And in fact, I think next year, I'm going to try to do a series on Genesis 1. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to feel like 
cracking eggs, but it'll be good. I want to look at, for just a few moments, one of uh, a very jam-packed full passage in Genesis 1 that helps us to understand what's going on and, I promise you, brings a practical angle to what we're talking about today. And that is the moment or the point in time when God created humanity, created human beings. And in this moment, in Genesis 1, verse 22, it says, God, Yahweh, said, let us make. Now, if you want to know the hot gossip, the topics that get people roiled up in seminary, because I know everybody does, it's verses like these. These get people all kinds of bothered. Who in the world is us? That's the question. Who in the world is us? And there's fierce debate in seminary. I went to seminary for four years. I'm just telling you, this is what people just, you could see their eyes light up. They just, let's debate it. Yes. And they just had so much fun. And the rest of us are like, I got to go to work tomorrow. I don't know. And they're like, yes, let's debate. Anyways, I'm not talking down totally. Uh, But let us make. So who is us? Well, it's not Elohim. This is a very obscure way in Hebrew of of saying um, us. Essentially, in Hebrew, this means more or less a divine being is giving a divine command to others, okay? So it's a divine to divine command. So we can conclude that us is a divine being. And a lot of times what people do is they assume that this is the Trinity. If you grew up in church, you may be familiar with the Trinity, the three in one, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is three people in one. And that's what a lot of people uh, attribute this to mean. But the reality is if you look at the context of the entire Bible, God is talking about those very same spiritual beings that we were just talking about because they came up all throughout the biblical story. God's inviting relationally and in delegation these spiritual beings to be a part of making something. Making something. And who are they going to make? You and I. They're going to make mankind in our image. In other words, these spiritual beings are made in God's image too, just like you and me. In our image, in our likeness, you and I in the Christian tradition are made in the image, we are the image bearers of the most high God. I can't tell you which parts, if it's a physical or a heart thing, I think it's a little bit somewhat of both, but we're made in his image. They have a fancy term of of this, of the imago dei, If you go to seminaries, you'll be like, yeah, let's talk about that. But that's a seminary thing. Our image. So spiritual beings are made in in God's image. We're made in God's image too. So what do you do with this? Well, so glad you asked. Consider how these spiritual beings played a part in the entire biblical story with me for a second. Think about some of the stories that you know. Whether you grew up in church or not, you probably know somewhat of the, the, the bullet points of some of these main stories. Think about Jesus' birth story. Who was there? Heavenly hosts, right? There was angelic hosts that were present. There were spiritual beings present to announce the birth to the shepherds of Jesus. If God needed a message delivered, sometimes he would send a spiritual being. You can think about Mary, 
there was an angel that delivered a message to Mary that she would be the mother of the son of God. Some battles in uh, the biblical story were won by God's angelic army. Paul in the New Testament will often speak about powers and principalities in reference both to leaders, but in Paul's mind and Jewish people's mind in those days, they would say there's also a spiritual presence behind what those people do who are in power and authority. They're oftentimes possibly being swayed by these spiritual beings. And a few verses from this point in Genesis, there's going to be a very famous spiritual being at play here. A fallen being, a being that is opposed to God and an adversary that will lead humans to break their relationship with God, which is what God created us to do in the first place, to be in relationship with him. And a being opposed to God led humanity to break that in what we call sin, or as we talked about last week, to miss the mark with God. To the biblical authors, the authority and influence of spiritual beings was very real. And I get, I go, oh, I get it. I get that this is terribly difficult to process some of these things, that there are spiritual beings, and those spiritual beings are at work in our world through leaders and maybe even sometimes in our own lives, especially if you're new to church and new to Christianity. But here's where I want to make this really practical. The biblical authors wrote what they experienced, what they felt like you, the listeners, needed to know. And it wasn't just once. They mentioned spiritual beings over and over and over again. Why? Not because they fit a mythology, but I think to them, it's because they were real. And so we can either ride over that and say, you guys have no idea what you're doing. You have no context of science in the world around us. Or you could possibly ponder. And I'm not saying this is comfortable, but I'm saying you could ponder why there are some things in life that defy explanation. Why there are some things in life that are more irresistible than other things. Why is it, for example, that money and power and sex have such control over our lives to the point at which we lose control, that we are not our own anymore? Why is that? How's that come to be? And I get that there are some biological explanations for that, that there are some DNA wirings in our brains and a predisposition to be controlled by some of these things. But there's a part of you, I think, as there is a part of me that, th- that kind of know there, there's maybe something a bit deeper that, that's beyond our full understanding or comprehension, even with all the discoveries that we've made, that maybe there's some things here that are more, there's more at play than what we realize. And the biblical author, authors would say to that, yeah, we agree with that. We think there are some deeper things at work here that maybe the reason why some world leaders are just straight up terrible, that some world leaders can create and hurt and harm and destroy creation in a way that defies my understanding, can defy my personal imagination, that perhaps there are some things that are deeper in there beyond their parents were just neglectful or abusive when they grew up. 
that perhaps some of the explanation, and this is what the biblical authors would say, to some of the most terrible things that have gone on in this world have to do with spiritual beings who are opposed to the world that God intended it to be. So what do we do with that? Well, I think we have a couple options. I think we can keep an open mind to that and be aware of that. I think we could go so far as to even put ourselves in these biblical authors' shoes and look at it not from our perspective, but from their perspective. And also, and this is where I really need you to tune in. So if up to here has been really weird, this is where we're really gonna start to do some baking, okay? So, so tune back in, stop doing the laundry, stop doing the dishes, just focus back in. Remember, those are for the online people. I know none of you are, but the online people, they tell me, they're like, oh, I was doing laundry. Now's the time to put the laundry down. The final option, I think, is to remember who you are. That you are made in the same likeness, in the same image as God. And you were created for a purpose, to be in relationship with God, but also to have delegated authority given to you. You were created so that they, they that means you and I, may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. In other words, you, humanity, are in charge of the earth. Who is in charge of the earth? Who is responsible for what goes on here? You. You are responsible you were created to rule whether you like it or not. You are God's delegated rulers of earth, of our terrestrial creation. Follow-up question. So how do you think you're doing? Rulers of earth, how's it going? A plus, B minus? D plus, what'd you give yourself? How are you doing ruling the earth? And I think the biggest problem with this is most of us, well, we don't see ourselves as rulers of the earth. We are see ourselves at most of rulers of our little worlds. Our families, maybe. Our house, maybe a team at work. Or a business. Maybe a little league team that we coach or lead here and there. Ultimately, I think we are all guilty, including myself, of shirking our responsibilities as rulers of the world. See, we don't tend to think in terms or decide or make decisions based on our responsibility for all things on earth, do we? We think about it in terms of maybe our, our close circle of friends and connections and networks and our financial well-being, and our career well-being, but we don't really think in terms of we are responsible for the world. We let material things instead rule over us, do we not? And if you don't feel that's you, you certainly know people that do. We contaminate our environment, we move animals to extinction, we pollute our world, we hoard food and resources, and we harm our fellow co-rulers. Isn't that crazy? 
I would even say, among all stranger things, that, my friends, is a stranger thing. Spiritual beings, strange. But how we choose to rule our world or lack of ruling, that is a stranger thing. How we treat one another, that is a stranger thing. That is something I think we have a real opportunity to think differently about. Because we have been given so much. If you think of yourself as ruler of the world, as a part of the ruling body of people in this world, you have a lot of responsibilities on your shoulders. Yet we're also given so much. Yet we also fall short in doing it very well. Let's go back to that opening question for a second just to make it really uncomfortable. Have you ever met someone with a lot of power who probably shouldn't have had all that power because of how they ruled the world that they were given? It's not always a great conclusion. Could that sometimes be us? Do we have more power than we realize or are willing to accept yet have already been given? Could it be possible, and I'm, I'm just asking here, that if there are spiritual beings opposed to God and therefore opposed to all of us, that our failure to rule as God's delegated authority on earth leaves a vacuum, a power vacuum for spiritual beings to step into and lead instead? Could that be possible? Could that be possible? Let me ask you, are you ruling well? I'm not just talking about your family. I'm talking about the world. Are you ruling well? Are you God's image bearer? Are you bearing the image of God well? Are you ruling what he has given all of us well? And if you're not Christian, let's be honest, this, is, this doesn't apply to you. If you don't consider yourself a Jesus follower, you don't have this responsibility. You get to live your best life right now. You get to do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want. That's what, a, you know, a world without God or considering yourself an image bearer, the most high, essentially means. You get to decide. It's all up to you. But if you are a Jesus follower, if you are God's appointed ruler of the world you've been given, do you lead it with love and kindness and patience and mercy and forgiveness and grace as is his image? There may be spiritual beings at work, but let's not use that as permission to pass blame off of our shoulders. Because often what I've found in my experience in the traditions of Christianity that tend more heavily on the spiritual side of things, I'll often hear phrases that go a little bit like this. Well, the enemy is against me. I don't doubt it. Who's in charge again? Oh, that's right. You are. So who's ultimately responsible? Oh, God said it pretty clear, you are. And you're not alone. There's a whole team. God just didn't leave you by, himself, by yourself, remember? What was the point in which God created everything and said, wait a second, 
everything I've been doing now has been good, but this is not good. It was the point at which God realized that mankind was alone. Created a partner, a helper to co-lead the world. You're not alone. You got a whole team with you. You have friends and family, fellow Jesus followers and Christians. You have image bearers of God with you and you have Yahweh himself on your side. So don't you think, given all of that, that we could lead worthy of the rule we have been given or perhaps do a better job of it? And if you're sitting here like, okay, Taylor, well, what do I do with this? Well, I would recommend beginning with a little bit of prayer to your heavenly father for direction and guidance. I would recommend making this a part of your small group discussion as you, those of you who have chosen to be in a small group for the next eight to 12 months, make this a part of your discussion. Are we ruling well, not with an iron fist, but with the image of God? Good rulers take even the messiest of eggs and don't always try to make it black and white because it's not always possible. Good leaders, I've found, are comfortable in the gray, in the imperfect world around us, with the imperfect people around us, and we try to do what is right and loving in the midst of that. To not always be comfortable with the mess, but to be willing to grow and open our minds to what could be and what we're responsible for, ultimately. Pray consider, maybe even go home and read some of those passages to understand the world through the lens of the biblical authors and possibly through your heavenly father's eyes and how he intended us all to live and rule the world we've been given. If you would, bow your heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thinking about uh, some of these things, as, as you well know, can make us feel a little uncomfortable, can push our boundaries a little bit, can challenge us to see a world or a side of the world that we haven't seen before. Lord, I pray a very simple prayer this morning that we would see ourselves first for who you created us to be. Men and women made in your image your likeness and also those who have given, been given a delegated authority to rule this world in your image Lord help us wherever we are in our faith journey to contemplate the meaning of that to contemplate the reality that we all want to seek truth that we all want to seek a better life, the fullness of life. That is just a pursuit of our hearts. And I think personally, that is the image of you on our hearts to pursue you, to pursue you as the life-giving God of our universe. So Lord, help us to not shy away from our responsibilities or shy away from the parts of this that make us uncomfortable, but be willing to engage with and have serious internal debate and maybe out 
outside or external conversation, to come to honest terms with who we are in this world and our responsibility for it. Lord, give us grace as we process this. Give us strength as we process this. Give us the people we need in our lives to process this well, to be honest with ourselves and the world that we live in. In your name I pray, amen.